You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, I also want to welcome you this morning and say that it is so good to be in worship with you. It feels as if we have already sensed and known the presence of God in this place. And so in just a moment, we are going to uh, open up God's Word together. My name is Chris Pollock, and for the last 10 years, I have had the ability to serve Bethany First Church in the area of student ministries, in the area of age group ministries, and it has been a great privilege and a great pleasure for us uh, to serve with and for you. Um, Recently, however... Uh, I have been involved with my wife and about 90 other people in thinking about and talking about a church plant in the revived area of Midtown in Oklahoma City. Now, Pastor Rick has talked quite a bit about this church plant along with the after-school program and the ministry that we have uh, at Two Lakes. And as Mikhail said, we here at BFC are attempting to do the impossible. We are attempting to raise $1 million in 90 days so that we might participate in what God is doing as God is about the business of restoring and remaking the world. Some of you have just gone above and beyond the call of duty, and uh, you have been faithful partners with God in this project, but you have been faithful partners with God throughout your entire lives. We stand on the shoulders of people as we sit in this room who have been involved in the activity of God in this place, and we recognize that God is about the business of remaking and restoring the world, and we, uh, have, uh, we bear witness to the activity and the participation of others. Now, I believe or I think that we think that God is about this, that God is about remaking and restoring the world and all, in light of all that's taking place in the world. When we consider violence and war and we consider racism and when we consider poverty, all things that are on the news that were on the news last year when I preached... To hear a message that God is about remaking and restoring the world is, it it surely, it, it sounds good. And it sounds so hopeful. I mean, who doesn't want God to be about this business? Uh, Who doesn't want God to do something new? So when I think about our current context, and when I think about uh, the hopefulness that we have and that which God is about, I think it would be important for us to open up the text and to listen and then perhaps to live into what we hear today. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit of a longer passage. I invite you to open your ears to the words that are being spoken by, uh, by the writer Luke, who wrote the book of Luke. And then the sequel, the Acts of the Apostles, or what we call Acts, or some call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 1, and then a little bit of a portion of Acts chapter 2. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. 
Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has set the authority. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, falling headfirst there. His body slid open, spilling out all his intestines. Then the news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Al-Kadama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This is the word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, thanks be to God. So I want to ask you a question after the reading of that long and wonderful passage. Has there ever been a time when you, ever been a time in your life when you have been in a gray place? 
a time in your life that just seems dull, a time in your life in where your spirituality doesn't seem exciting or vivacious or thrilling, a time when you cannot get out of your spiritual rut. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have experienced something amazing and then once that amazing thing was done, you enter back into old, regular life? In the book of Acts, there were a group of people that had witnessed something amazing. They had witnessed the most mind-blowing thing ever. Before their eyes, the once dead Jesus was standing before them. And in this, their world was shaken up. They were given purpose, their hopes were restored, and they were, uh, they were witnessing the most unbelievable things. And then in Acts 1, after all that they had seen and done, Jesus promises that he will leave one with them that will be their comforter, their healer, their guide, and their friend. And he ascends into heaven. All of a sudden, poof, he's gone. And I can imagine them just kind of waiting, staring into the sky. Uh, Those that had seen the resurrected Jesus entered then after the ascension into one of those gray places, those boring places, those ordinary times in their lives. They had witnessed things that shook them up. Life with Jesus was thrilling. Then Jesus says something kind of confusing about what's going to happen, and he ascends, and they're left staring into the sky, and gray space, ordinary life comes over them. The ordinary catches up on them, and it doesn't take them much time to ask the question, what now? So they did what good spiritual folks do uh, when they don't know what to do. They called a board meeting. And in this meeting, they went about making plans to get out of the gray space because that's what you and I do during ordinary times. We got to shake things up a little bit. So they prayed for God's blessing on those plans and like good spiritual folks, then they gambled. This is what happens in Acts chapter 1. They decided to elect people to certain offices because that's what we do after all. We got to get the right people on the right bus going in the right direction while they sit in the right seat. And finally, they determined after all was done that Matthias would fill Judas's place as the 12th apostle. And then... Even after all of that reading, and you can continue to read through the rest of the book of Acts, you could continue to read through the rest of the book, uh, the rest of the New Testament, we never hear about Matthias again. Why, I wonder? Perhaps, just maybe, it's because our plans, our ideas, our goals, our visions are just, they're just too small. They're just too tame for God. The way we go about things, ha- making things happen is just too small for God. Shortly after the vote in Acts 2, these believers sat in an upper room and, and they were in prayer when God decided to do something that I can't think of another word other than terrifying. I kind of think they were up there praying about the same kind of things that I tend to pray about from time to time. Uh, 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 Pray about during my ordinary time. I pray about grandmother's knee. I pray about good parking spaces. All of the time I'm praying about the fact that I've lost my keys. God, after all, raised Jesus from the dead. Certainly, he can help me with these things. 
And then in Acts 2, when they had gathered and they were praying, this is when things get terrifying. Luke says that while they were praying, suddenly there was a sound. The, the, the room began to shake and the windows began to shake. And it was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. It was as if a train was moving through the room. And mysteriously, there, was, there appeared what seemed to be tongues of fire that landed upon the heads of the people and landed in their hearts. And to everyone's surprise, they were able to speak in ways that were very curious, very unusual, yet everybody was able to understand. And then the question arises, what just happened? God decides to stir stuff up because Pentecost is what happened. And friends, I want to tell you something. Pentecost is a game changer. Pentecost is a showstopper. Nothing is the same after Pentecost. Ordinary, once it experiences Pentecost, is extraordinary. Now, while Pentecost was an important day for the early church, they, the early church recognized and celebrated Pentecost even more than they celebrated Christmas. We live as if this great movement of the Spirit was, was maybe just perhaps a one-time event. Our lives typically don't reflect Pentecost. We don't sit in rooms that seem to shake. Instead, our lives reflect ordinary time, regular everyday life. And so for us, the story is so peculiar that it almost doesn't make any sense. Pentecost seems strange. We get the joy of Christmas and the joy that comes to the world because of a newborn king. We even understand and heard even this morning that Jesus identifies with us in our suffering. And so we understand the season of Lent. We know the hope that comes in Easter, but Pentecost seems mysterious, seems strange, until it happens. I, I felt a call to ministry when I was in the eighth grade. I was at a camp, I was sitting in the semi-back row messing around with my friends, and it was like the wind began to blow. I felt the Spirit of God begin to speak to me, and I felt in a small voice, while we have crashing loud sounds in Acts 2, I felt in a small voice the Spirit say, I, I think it would be a good idea if you followed me by going into ministry. The only concept that I had in my mind was what youth ministry was like, because those were the kinds of pastors I knew. And I got to be honest with you, this was a terrifying idea. I, this was not something I wanted to do. And so I resisted it, and I resisted it for a long time. I went to college at Olivet Nazarene University, and there were two things that you need to know about me when I entered into college. The first thing that you need to know about me was this. I worked incredibly hard. I mean, I worked so hard at not ever having to work hard. I cut corners. I, I plotted things in my mind. I never wanted to do the hard thing. And I worked hard at avoiding that which was hard. And the second thing that you need to know about me was this. I was 100% totally committed more than what I can even describe to you. I was madly in love with Holly. You have a kid 
who never wants to work hard or will work hard, never have to work hard. And at the same time, he's in love with this girl. These were the two things that I lived for. Junior year, I was going through the catalog and what I was, the, the school catalog, and what I was doing was I was trying to sign up for my senior year so that I could graduate. And I realized sitting in the, at the desk in Chapman Hall that I was going to be short of graduation. My freshman year, when I looked at the catalog, I chose a psychology major because at Olivet Nazarene University, psychology was the shortest major. And I didn't put two and two together to realize the fact that as the shortest major, I would need to pick up another major or a minor in order to graduate. And here I am at the end of my junior year, and it is time to think about graduation. I had just asked Holly to marry me. My second, my first goal of all time was done, and I realized that I was not going to graduate on time. I had a picture of myself having to call my dad to tell him that I wasted my time and more importantly, wasted his money. This is the kind of person that you get, me in college. And just when I realized that, the wind began to blow. I mean, I looked at that catalog and I I mean, it was as if the Holy Spirit turned the pages. I was looking at those pages and I realized, and it was going to fit perfectly in my schedule, that a Christian education minor, which I knew was an easy minor, was going to fit into my senior year schedule and I was going to graduate with 128 hours and in order to graduate, I needed 128 hours. And I... David Wine is the professor. That guy I've got figured out and here's what I I can get him. So I went and I filled out my form and I made an appointment and I went to him and I said, Prof Wine, I feel like I'm supposed to be a Christian education minor. He said, you know, Chris, that's really amazing because here's the deal. We have just built a new youth ministry major and I think you'd be a perfect candidate for that. I said, oh, prof, you don't realize education is my way of going. And he said, oh, Chris, I think that you should consider being taking on this youth ministry major. He goes, in fact, I'm looking at your schedule and it will fit and you'll be able to pick that up. It will give you what you need. It'll have the, you'll be able to take your theology classes your final senior year. You'll be able to take some biblical, uh, some, some Bible classes that you need. You'll be able to take a church history class. This is going to fit perfectly. You know what else it'll do? It'll put you on track for ordination and at the same time, you'll be ready for seminary. <laughs> Prof, you don't understand. Two things, work hard not to work hard, love with Holly, we're getting married in December. He said, Chris, I think you should consider this this major. I said, Prof, I think you should sign my piece of paper. He said, Chris, consider the major. I said, Prof, I want to be out of your office. And then he said this to me, Chris, it is evident that you are called to ministry and you can feel it. The wind is beginning to blow. It is evident that you are called to ministry. Why is it that you are resisting? And I said, Prof. And I'll be honest with you, that was my most honest moment, maybe of my whole college career. Because these words came out of my mouth. Prof, I do not want to be responsible for other people's lives. And with that, good, my good professor, David Wine, 
who to this day calls me and says, I pray for you every single day. But in that moment, he crumpled up my piece of paper, threw it at me. And he said, there is no need for you to be in my office then. The wind began to blow. Uh, it, only I didn't realize it. We have sat in places where the wind blows and the tongue of the fire land on our heads, and our, but we, we have a tendency to miss it because we're in the midst of ordinary life. And what I began to realize was that I wasn't realizing that I was in the middle of Pentecost. I was angry for a whole day. And I went, and I remember not seeing Holly for that whole day, and I remember sitting at 11 o'clock at night. It was April. And I remember sitting there on an unusually warm night in Bourbonnais, Illinois, in front of the giant smokestack that is there on the campus. I was sitting on a curb, and I began to express my displeasure about Prof. Wine to Holly. And with that, she looked at me and she said, I have known you have been called to ministry for a long time, and if you do not obey, we are not getting married. In one day, what is happening? I'll tell you what is happening. The wind began to blow. She walked away from me. She went to the dorm and I sat there and my thought was this, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. I know this is clear that I'm about ready to lose everything if I'm disobedient in the middle of what seems to be God's activity. And while I said, okay, I'll do it, I did not know what the next steps were going to be. I went to my room, I went to sleep, I slept in, I, I skipped my class, and at 9.30, the phone rang. I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And on the other end was a man, man's voice, and he said, Chris, my name is Sean Evans. I'm a youth pastor in Valparaiso, Indiana. I've been trying to get a hold of you for over two months. I want to invite you to Valparaiso to our church uh, to work in our youth ministry as an intern. I want to teach you about youth ministry this summer and teach you about pastoral ministry, and we will pay you. Now, here's what I've discovered, and I want to talk to you about. I've discovered this, that, that Pentecost is really this. Pentecost is about living into the dream of God. And sometimes we put dreams into the same categories as ideas or goals or visions. However, dreams don't fit into those categories because dr a dream is this. A dream is dancing on the edge, the very edge of the impossible. And I will have you know, and I believe we see this in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, that God is a dreamer. He is comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Uh, he likes to go to the edge of the impossible. He dances where I want no part. While I buckle up for safety, God drives fast. When I want to fly on a commercial flight where I can get peanuts and a nice nap, uh, arriving with a safe landing, God wants to be dropped out of a plane without a parachute. By what we see in Acts, it seems that God is into cliff diving, that he's into extreme skiing, trapeze acts, and hiking to the top of the largest peaks. He's a test pilot, he's a bull rider, he's a bass jumper, and he's a NASCAR driver. And I'm sure he'd like parkour. He li he'd love extreme downhill uh, mountain biking. And I can see God, after reading this, that he'd be one of those guys that does wingsuit diving. You ever seen those characters? Now God, he's a real thrill seeker. 
But he really gets crazy. I mean, out of his mind, if you ask me, when he dreams about the most impossible task, the existence of a church, a people set apart, a people that we call sanctified. The church in God's dream is this crazy people of redemption where redemption isn't normal. A people of reconciliation, a people of restoration. In God's mind, he sees a people equipped to do the impossible. And God started, God, uh, started dreaming about a church then. And he has started dreaming about a church now. And some of us have been captured by this dream. And honestly, when I started to see the impossible presented to me about this church plan, the fear that was in that college student rose up within me again. I knew that what God was calling me to do. God was calling me to plant a church in Midtown Oklahoma City. So for the last year and a half, Holly and I have been praying about it. We have been measuring the risks. We have been thinking about the things that we are about to take our children into. We've been talking about it with Pastor Rick. And reluctantly, because we understand the risk, we've been asking others to participate. And friends, I've got to tell you, the wind is about, it is beginning to blow. It's no longer business as usual at BFC. It is no longer business as usual in Bethany. It is no longer business as usual in Oklahoma City. In ordinary time, in our ordinary time, in our gray space, our law, I want to make sure you understand something. The wind is beginning to blow and the dream is becoming clear. The city is opening itself up to us. They have rolled out the red carpet. The city which is valuing imagination and collaboration and and restoration. You've seen these things in communities like Bricktown. You've seen these things happen in neighborhoods. You've read this in the newspaper. I'll have you know those are kingdom virtues. The wind is beginning to blow. And some of you have been asking some questions. You, rec- you, you have heard that perhaps we have found a place to plant this church or perhaps a building. I want to show you a picture here. Some of you have heard that we may have found this building and you've seen it in some of the videos. This building is the home of the old German Methodist church. Construction began in 1892 and was completed in 1911, just after we became a state. And most recently, it's been the home of the Skyline Urban Ministries. Uh, But for over 100 years, it has had a presence on the central corner of Oklahoma City, just as BFC has had a central presence on the corner of Bethany. Strangely enough, it was started by two men whose last names were Klassen and Chartel. It has roots deep within who we are as a city. And uh, while we would love to see, to be in this building and are having some meetings this week about this building, to see what the possibilities would be to worship here, uh, and we believe that maybe the 8th Street Church could be the building... uh, that we could reimagine and restore, we recognize this. In God's dream, it is more than a building we are restoring. When we think about the Floyd Center, it is more than a building we are restoring. We believe that early on, God began to dream about the best way uh, to live, and that was by being good neighbors. So our vision is to live the way of Jesus in a space and to create a community of true neighbors who help each other in real ways. 
We believe that God dreams about a community of people that walk this walk together and that we are called to invite others into our walk by being a place where folks can find belonging and we want to give people a way to serve. We want to work and live the way of Jesus through more than words. We want to do it in actions because we believe that this is what God is dreaming. We believe that God dreams more about, uh, more about than just having people show up and do, but we want to connect them in hope and desire to see change in our city, Oklahoma City and Bethany, and around the world. We believe that this God is calling us to reimagine what church can be by creating a space of acceptance and encouragement and belonging, a place to gather and pray and tell stories, share struggles, celebrate and serve. Some of you have shared that kind of, those kind of stories with us that you experienced when you grew up in the Floyd Center. Also, we want to reclaim words that are important to us but may have lost their meaning. We want to live into the identity that is the church of the Nazarene. For instance, holiness is not you know, just about being better than everybody else but it's living into a wholeness that comes from the fullness of who God is. And we believe that this is good news for everyone. And we want to be participants in restoring lives in our world. Therefore, we want to reflect Him by being a community that embodies fierce love, connected in compassion, action, hope, and healing. Because we believe that this is God's dream. So it would be our desire, because, of, because we believe that this is the impossible dream of God, to get a building and restore it and begin worship services in the building and, and start small groups throughout neighborhoods and workplaces and, and do community work and service. And we believe that God is about bringing hope and change to lives in our city. This is God's dream. He wants to remake and restore the world, and he wants to use us, the people of Bethany First Church of Nazarene, the people of God of the Midtown Project, the people of God of Two Lakes, the people of God of Oklahoma City First Church, the people of God of Williams Church of the Nazarene, the people of God of Council Road Baptist, the people of God of LifeChurch.tv, the people of God at City Press, the people of God at St. Luke's Methodist, wherever the people of God are, he wants to use the church to do the impossible. So friends, my attempt here is to be extremely clear about what your pastor, Pastor Rick, your staff, your church board is asking you to do. We are asking you to get involved through your praying, your giving, and for some, you're going to be participants in these impossible tasks. We're asking you, knowing the risk, we're asking you to make a sacrifice. We're asking you to come and dance on the edge of impossibility. We're asking you to get out of the gray space, to recognize that the wind is blowing, to get out of the ordinary, to be a part of something that is extraordinary. We're asking you to live into Pentecost. The leaders of this church believe that God, they believe that God, to the very core of who they are, is about the business of remaking and restoring the world. And that which is broken is being made right by the work of God. And he has called you and he has called me to participate. We have seen this dream. I mean, think about it. The impossible thing. This thing that is so risky. I mean, this thing that's going to cost us something. One million dollars. This is pocket change to God. However, it is daunting for us. 
He could drop it out of the sky if he chose to. And sometimes he does that kind of stuff. But most of the time, he chooses us. So on Sunday nights, this core group of people that, uh, that are going to make up this church uh, meet for meetings. And then one time a month, we have a worship service that we're calling a preview worship, preview worship services. And on uh, May the 29th, it was our first preview worship service, and I was prepared to talk about this topic, Pentecost. I was prepared to say that Pentecost was the birthday of the church, and now as a church, uh, we are a new spiritual community that reflects God in the world, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is in perfect rhythm and unity of love, and uh, is in love for the sake of the world. Uh, I looked at that group of people, though, when I stood up to preach, and I really, I confess to you, I really began to worry. The same fear that met me in, uh, in my dorm room began to wash over me, and sweat began to roll down my face. My immediate thought was, as I stood and I looked at those people, unless the wind begins to blow, unless God shows up upon the heads and the hearts of these new people, unless God plunges us into the work of the Holy Spirit, unless God gives us the ability to speak a language of good news, then we are doomed. I thought, where is he taking us? What are we doing? We have gone too far. This is impossible. And I found myself terrified. But the terror, honestly, is good. In that small church setting, about 130 that gathered there on that Sunday night, they sang together for the first time. We prayed for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, and then we responded by eating at the table of grace. And in those moments, God decided to go crazy. And a dream was becoming a reality. A church was being born. I looked at those people and I almost couldn't speak because dancing is, uh, dreaming is dancing on the edge of impossibility. And God is asking the people of Bethany First Church to dream his dream and to dance on the edge of impossibility. However... Even though there is great risk for us, and there is, there is great risk for you, and there is great risk for me. There is great risk for our children and our grandchildren. There are things out there that we do not want to face. This is impossible. I will have you know, though, that God is not only a dreamer. He has the ability to make the impossible possible. He's not just into the risk, he's also into the reward. In wind and in fire, we are promised that he is present and that he is in charge. Therefore, we can trust him. While God is interested in doing a high wire act and calls us to walk with him a thousand feet above the earth on, the ro on a rope, we know this, that while God does that and calls us to do that, he is also the net. He can, and he has fixed grandmother's knee. He can, and he has uh, watched over parking spots. He can, and he has helped me to find my keys way too many times. And he is good, very good. In the midst of some of the most terrifying things, some of which he creates. I love what Antonio Bloomberg says. I'm a, Harlan, I invite you to come. She says this, Pentecost is an invitation to dream. 
Like any good dream, these dreams involved adapting a new perspective on what's possible, rousing our creativity to free us from conventional expectations. They help us see that maybe what we thought was outlandish actually lies within reach. Maybe I can find freedom from what binds me. Maybe there can be justice. Maybe I can make a difference. Maybe a person's value isn't determined by her income. Maybe the future of our economy or our society or our planet is not yet determined. Maybe God is here with me, even if my current struggles never go away. Pentecost was not just a one-time event. Change is coming, risk is real, faith is needed, prayers are being prayed, songs we've never had the courage to sing before are being sung, good news is on the lips of those who are experiencing it, strangers are being welcomed, friendships are being made, forgiveness is being extended, broken things are being put back together, dreams, the impossible, these dreams are being realized. So here is the only way that I think that we can respond. Friends that are experiencing Pentecost dive headlong into the deep end of God's dream. Surrender yourself to it and be open and available to wherever the wind might blow. I believe that he wants to use us and he is inviting us and to do the impossible. So I'd invite you to stand. We're going to sing and then I want to give you a blessing. I will say, I will say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I will say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. receive this benediction and this blessing. May God himself, the God of peace, who also calls us into the impossible, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole bodies and souls and spirits be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has called you and is calling you and is calling us, is faithful and he will do it. Peace be unto you as you go. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.